My name is Danae Reed, and I want to welcome you to the part of life where mothers do not physically, emotionally, or mentally exist. Welcome to Damn Mom, Really? Which is a podcast that seeks to shed light on grief and open up a conversation about a topic that is often avoided. Again, this is a space for people who have either experienced the loss of a mother or a mother figure, and I am so excited to fellowship with you guys. The contents of these episodes is up to the discretion of both my guests and myself, and I can trust that they are telling the truth just as much as I am as it feels right for them. Also, noting that the subject matter can potentially be heavy or triggering, we have included a six-minute cool-down meditation by Liliana Rasmussen at the end of this episode for your pleasure. And this soundscape is brought to you by Scott Reed Jr. What's good, y'all? It's Danae, and I'm back with another episode of my podcast, Damn Mom, really a podcast that absolutely no one wants to be on and everybody wants to listen to. Today, I am joined by such a prolific, amazing Philly woman. My girl, T. Goodwin, is here in the building, and she is just so prolific. We have the event planner, empowerment speaker. She hosts a podcast herself. She does branding. She's the founder of The White Rose and just so much more. So, T., Welcome to the show. I'm going to give you the space to talk a little bit about yourself because I already know I didn't do you justice. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. So like she mentioned, my name is T. Goodwin and I am just a Jill of all trades. I do it all. It's probably nothing I probably haven't done. Well, no, I take that back. So it is some stuff I probably haven't done. But you know, um, I just love navigating life. And I really didn't get to tap into that until I hit a huge bump in my life. So um, like she said, I, I did event planning, um, branding really big. I'm a podcaster, media personality, just a curator of all events in all spaces for people to put themselves in. Because there's a lot of conversations that need to be had and they're not having them because people don't have spaces for them. Yeah. So um, it's very important that I create the spaces that I know I feel comfortable in and that I know somebody else will feel comfortable in. But, you know, just a Philly girl doing what she loved to do. That's what it is. Yeah, I love <laughs> that for you. So uh, in the effort of talking about navigating life after loss, can we just talk a little bit more about that bump in the road that really led you to being who you are today? Yes. So that bump in the road was the passing of my mother on October the 13th, 2009. It was very life changing. Um, I tell people all the time is people think it's easy being the only child when in all reality is really hard being the only child. It, it was very hard just navigating and trying to understand who I was as an individual after my mom had passed away because I did so much for her. So I was basically a caretaker for her since the age of eight years old. When she got injured on the job, she used to work at Temple University and she worked with individuals who um, had mental disabilities. And one of the patients actually took her arm and twisted it, which gave her permanent nerve damage on the entire right side of her body. So can you imagine, you know, my mom was young then, still young, you know, um, and I was only eight and having to adult really quickly, that's a lot of grief and that's trauma. You know, I felt even now as an adult, 
I really sit back and think like, well, damn, did I really have a childhood? Like, did that really exist? But I really had a really good upbringing. You know, I was really good in school. I was very active in all the extracurricular activities. I traveled the world. It was it was a great thing being a kid, but it was a kid with a lot of responsibilities. So um, just navigating through that part. And then on top of that, my mom developed some visual impairments. So, you know, us girls, we wear glasses, all that kind of stuff. Well, no, my mom probably wore like two pairs of glasses, right? So mm-hmm. she had like your regular eye deficiencies. But then on top of that, she had cornea transplant. She had retina detachment. She had glaucoma. She had cataracts. She had a little bit of everything. So these little two things that I got on my face are so precious to me. And mm-hmm. I tell my boyfriend all the time, the biggest fear I have is waking up and not being able to see. So I, I take that very seriously. Anything health oriented, I listen, go get checked up. Okay. But in 2009, um, we had came home from Florida and we were sitting at my uncle's house here in Philly. And like, she kind of like, we was just having regular conversation. And then just at that moment, she kind of got like quiet and my mom wasn't a quiet girl. <laughs> so um, when she got quiet, we were like, you know, T, you okay? Like, mom, you all right? And she was just like, I don't know what's happening. I can't feel my right side right now. So we're like, what? And she like, yeah, I can't feel it. So we like, oh my gosh, she might be having a stroke. So we called 911. 911 wanted to take forever. So we just end up taking her to the hospital, right? So Mm -hmm. we take her to the hospital. She's in the hospital for about, I'll say two, three weeks maybe. And then she goes to rehab and then she comes home. So she comes home and she was like, you know, going through the motions, trying to get used to everything all over again, blah, blah, blah. And then one day she said, oh my gosh, I have this fever. So, you know, us in the culture, you know, you just take some ibuprofen and call it the day, right? This is what's going to break the, this is what's going to break the fever. But it, 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 it was really, really like still around for like two and three days. And I'm like, this is weird. So we was downstairs in our living room and literally the house I'm in right now. And we were downstairs in the living room and she became disoriented. And I'm like, hold up. I don't know what this is. So I said, you know, I'm just going to call 911. So 911 came and, you know, they were talking to her, trying to figure out what could potentially be wrong with her. And they were like, you understand why your daughter called 911? And she was like, yeah, because she said that I'm not acting right. So who would have known that would have been the last time she ever sat in the living room? Wow. So we literally went to the hospital. She was needing all kind of blood transfusions and the Red Cross had to come in because she needed platelet transfusions. And it was just so much that everything was moving so fast, but it was like downhill, like really quick. Like literally my mom went in probably maybe late September and then passed away October 13th. It was happening so fast, wow, so fast. And we were like, till this day, we, we we can say, oh, it was it was complications of the stroke. But my mom also had sarcoid. So it's an autoimmune deficiency. And she had a tumor on her brain back when I was in college. And they had to get that removed. And since then, I mean, of course, your mom don't never let you really know anything because moms, that's what they do. But, you know, my mom could have honestly been suffering in silence and just didn't want me to worry because there was so many things going on. Like I was graduating from college. I was starting my master's degree. Like it was just a lot of things going on. So she probably really just didn't want me to worry. But then life really kicked in after she passed away. Yeah. So do you wish that she would have told you if she did, like, assuming she did know that something was going on, do you wish that she would have told you? Hmm. Um, 
I probably would have respected the situation more if she would have told me. I was only at Westchester, so I wasn't four. You know, mm-hmm. I can get home in an hour, hour and a half. Um, so that really wasn't the issue. So I don't, I don't, I don't know. I wish I could ask her, you know, like why you didn't tell me, like, I knew she had sarcoidosis, already knew that, but like these other ailments and things of that sort, I'm just like, why leave me in the dark, you know, when I'm the one who pretty much take care of you, you know? Yeah. And I mean, just thinking about you being eight years old and taking on the role of a caretaker and then kind of doing that for the rest of your mom's time on earth. Mm Mm-hmm. What was the weight of that like for you at such a young age? And is it something that was able to level out over time or did it kind of get heavier and heavier as time went on? I kind of pretty much got numb to the situation, honestly. Um, It was just something that you would already do. you like, okay, this is my parent. You know, I do it because it's my parent. So it wasn't like no second thought about like, I'm not going to do it because, you know, X, Y, and Z. But the weight of that wasn't as I got older I don't think it was as bad until she went into the hospital okay leading up to that years prior to that I don't think it was as bad I think it was it was just so repetitive so you get tired I'm tired of all the eye doctor appointments you know I'm tired of going to the primary care doctor all the time I think that's what probably was the most draining and being as though she had complications in seeing we had to rely on other people to do things for her sometimes. Like one day she might be able to wake up and be able to see just fine. And then maybe a couple of days later and be like, oh man, my eyes is a little blurry today. So it's just a up and down situation and it, you really just don't know. Yeah, yeah. And I can only imagine, and I don't want to speak for you, but at eight, so much of your importance is the fact that you are taking care of your mom. You know, you feel important because of mm-hmm. that. And I, I could imagine that, that, and again, please correct me if I'm mm-hmm. overstepping or overspeaking, but I imagine that that feeling and that sentiment would persist again until the rest of your adult life. Mm-hmm. And just understanding the shock of losing a mom in general, that idea of, being important for so many different reasons for your mom Mm -hmm. did that kind of was that something that catapulted you into that shock of loss like did that did that add another level for you oh absolutely because I wasn't expecting it you know people always I always had situations when I was younger like maybe in middle school or high school where some of my classmates didn't have their parents Mm -hmm. and I would have never thought that I would be on the same wavelength is them you know what I'm saying at the age that I was because I was 23 when my mom passed away Mm -hmm. so you know as life goes on you just like oh well you know in all reality our parents are supposed to go first but they're supposed to live until they're 80 or 90 years old and then you know we follow suit so it was just like damn like why why now like you know I got so much more to do I have so much more to live and 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 it sucks because I always tell people like you know cherish your parents like even if you don't get along with them you know parents supposed to get on our nerves you know so it's just like even when you're in that space be okay that they're even here I don't have a mom and it's been almost 14 years and she will never see me get married. She will never see me have children. She will never see me purchase my first home. You know what I'm saying? Like those key things that come around, that's going to be absent. So I tell people all the time, like, just, just hang in. Even if, if the relationship is broken, just hang in there. I agree. And you know, I can't stand when I see people who are mistreating their moms or I'm just like, again, I get it. It's like, you know, and, and for me, 
And maybe for you too. The things that I'm like, okay, they kind of pissed me off when my mom did it when she was here. Mm -hmm. Now I'm like, well, damn, it wasn't even that deep for me to be irritated. And so when I'm on the outside looking in, in other people's situations mm -hmm. and they talk about mom crazy and they mom did X, Y, Z, I'm just like, she's not even really tripping. Like, I understand your feelings are valid and she's getting on your nerves, but like, she's not really tripping. She's just being a mom. Like, right. I think that losing my mom has allowed me to, one, give myself more grace, but also give other people more grace too, because it's like, okay, naturally as people, we get irritated and there's irritants and people are annoying. Like, that's just what right. it is. People can be annoying, but it's not that deep. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> yeah, so earlier you were talking about, and I, I relate to this a lot as well, finding purpose outside of being your mom's caretaker, finding purpose outside of being your mom's daughter. Do you feel like you have the answer to that question yet? Do you know what your purpose is? Yes, I do. And it didn't click in until maybe about seven, eight years later. Um, okay. Like I mentioned, like, you know, I was a caretaker, but not just for my mom. I was a caretaker for a lot of other people. Like mm -hmm. my uncle, he had like an abscess on the, on the top of his spine and he ended up being paralyzed from the waist down, which is my mom's baby brother. And mm -hmm. it was a lot just taking care of him. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like we were making sure he was good and all that stuff. And then my uncle was fine now, but now I had, I had my grandmother I was helping take care of who had kidney cancer. And then I was taking care of my great grandmother who suffered two strokes. And was still on top. My grandma just passed away two years ago at 97. So it was just like a lot going on. Like, and I'm like, damn, like I'm still trying to grieve the passing of my mom and just grieving all of that. You know what I'm saying? So I had to really step back and figure out who I was because I tell people all the time with this little analogy I came up with. When I used to look in a mirror, I used to see myself in a lot of other people. Mm -hmm. But now I'm able to look in the mirror and be able to just see myself. So mm -hmm. now it's time to take care of me. So after I was mad at God for years and questioning my faith and all of that stuff, I had to realize that God did me a favor when he took her back. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, thanks for relieving that stress off of me. Thank you for allowing me to be able to, you know, go on this self-discovery journey and understand who I am as an individual. And I'm still doing that now, even at my big age. So, you know, <laughs> it's, it's just a journey that I'm going to forever be on, you know, cause that's years that I was in that position. Right. So it's just like, okay, who is Tiana? What does she like to do? So yeah, it's, it's, it's been a whirlwind, but understanding who I am, the things I like, the things I don't like, um, spaces that I love to be in, places I don't want to be, people I don't even want to associate with. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's just, you just learn a lot of stuff about yourself. Yeah. And I've talked a lot on this podcast to people across the board about like questioning God and mm -hmm. how long that might take to get over. And for me, I was a really spiritual person before. I, I'm not religious and I wasn't, but I was really spiritual and I would pray all the time. I would talk to God, like all these things. And I've been mm -hmm. so jaded by that, that experience and hearing you say, you know, I got out of that eventually, I think was, is, is really helpful for me. And I think for other people as well, but just on the topic of that, something you said really struck me about this idea of thanking God for lightening your load. And I could imagine that there's sort of this like 
dichotomy of thinking because you might feel guilty for feeling that way, but you also might, that's how you feel. So can you talk to us a little bit about that moment, about coming to that realization, like this happened and it was for my greater good. And now my mom is, you know, in paradise and I'm allowed to look for myself. Like, was it difficult for you to understand that? Yes, it definitely was. Because like I said, I was out here playing the blame game. I was out here doing things that I know I shouldn't be doing. You mm-hmm. know, just out here living a wretched life. <laughs> out here really being being whoever. But I knew it wasn't me. So I knew I had the, the light bulb had to eventually cut on. Like, listen, like you can't be out here in the darkness when you got, when you had people out here who want to help you. You had people out here who want to make you a better person. Um, people who want to take care of you, like you're not out here by yourself because when you lose your mom and then you're the only child and then you grew up in a single parent home, it's just like, you ain't got nobody out here. Even if you got aunts, uncles and grandparents and stuff like my mom's side of the family is very small. So Uh it's just like, okay, like I'm really, it's me. And then I have a cousin. My uncle has a daughter. That's it. Like we're the last of the dying breed. So we don't have any children. That's it. Like, you know, so it's just like, understanding this is the space I need to be in. This is the more healthier space I need to be in. And when that light bulb finally went off, the crazy part about it, when I actually made that statement for the first time, I was on a a Facebook live Mm. talking about the five stages of grief with um, the women of the society. And I had, I said, we need to do something for like mother's day or whatever leading up to mother's day. So we wanted to talk about the five steps of grief and, I accidentally said that it wasn't, it was just like by default, like I said it and I was just like, and I ran with it after that. And I was just like, he did, because I thought about like, if my mom would have been still alive, she could be a vegetable. She Mm -hmm. could be in a wheelchair. You know what I'm saying? She could have had all kinds of mental issues. You know what I'm saying? Like if I think it would have made my load even more heavier. Mm. If she would have been still around, of course you want your mom to be around. My mom was 48 when she passed away. So it's like, my mom was still young, you know? And it's like, as I get older and I'm approaching that age, it's like, is it, it, you know, like what's going to happen? You know what I'm saying? Of course we want to live past 48, but Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's mentally embedded in your head because you're like, I don't want my time cut short. You know what I'm saying? So I, I really like ran with that and and I was okay with that. Okay. Um, so I think I'm doing pretty good on this grief journey, but you know, I still got my downsides too. Yeah. It, it gets it gets hard. Yeah, yeah. And I, I just really commend you for just your transparency. I think sometimes it's interesting because we think things that we don't know we think and then mm-hmm. they come out and we're like oh I just said that that makes a lot of sense I didn't mm-hmm. know that I thought that but I don't I might feel a little if the feeling associated with my words might feel a little strange because right. I can't believe I said it out loud but after you do kind of earth that it makes you feel a lot more mm-hmm. comfortable and confident in just where you're at in life and I mean I just like I'm thinking about you through all of these different phases and I'm sending you so much love and I hope that your inner child feels loved and your teenage self feels loved and your young mm-hmm. adult self feels loved because it sounds like you've been grieving for a long time absolutely like, for me I've only been grieving in such a heavy way because grief is so many different things right but right. I've been 
grieving in this way only for a year now. And I can't imagine that compounding of grief, right? You're dealing with your mom and your grandma mm. and your uncle and all these different things. That compounded nature of grief coming from so many different places. Do you think that that has changed grief for you? Did it make it more robust? Like, what does grief feel like for somebody who has grieved a lot? Mm. It really is to like each his own. Mm-hmm. I know for me, it it was at that time when everything was going on, it was very overwhelming, very overwhelming. Even as a young adult at that time, it was a lot to, like you said, compact. Like you're just carrying around this stuff because you're doing it. This your family, you know, you mm-hmm. want to make sure they okay, but huh, am I okay? But at that age, I probably could have cared less if I was okay. You know what I'm saying? But as an adult, I damn sure want to make sure I'm okay. Cause you know, I'm, I'm out here working. I'm in here interacting with other people. I need to make sure that I'm okay so I can show up for others. Mm-hmm. And that's the biggest part of grief, being able to not just show up for yourself, but show up for others who are in the same space because we're grieving every day. You know, we're, we're going through trauma every day. Like it's just, it's just a lot. And my situation could have been way different with other type of grief you know what I'm saying and I was just lucky enough I guess you can say to just get this grief which some people think is easy (laughs) no it's hard (laughs) it's very hard so you know I think it's really to each his own you know we have individuals I've encountered individuals I'm sure you have as well with individuals who had rough childhoods I had a good childhood you know what I'm saying rough childhoods and then have to deal with maybe the passing of a parent or, and you know, and, and that could have been traumatic. The person could have been killed, you know, anything could have happened. So I really am blessed in the space of grief that I'm in or the grief that I experience because I know situations could be worse. And I've always been told that, like, be grateful for what you have because somebody else's situation is worse than yours. Can I just say that I hope to achieve the level of maturity you're at right now? Like, I'm like, see where you're at. I am definitely a ways away from where you're at right now. But I think that what you've done with your platform or even your willingness to help people navigate through life as you're navigating yours is, is awesome. And I think that leads us right to the white rose, um, which you mentioned a little bit earlier. So if you could just talk a little bit about that and what made you start it. So the White Rose Society is a Facebook community that I developed back in 2017 because I got tired of grieving by myself. You know, um, I figure I'm like, well, I can make a Facebook group about, you know, women who have lost their moms, no matter how they lost them. You might have the parent who really physically isn't here, or you might have the parent who may be strung out on drugs who isn't there. You know what I'm saying? So that absence is still just as important. So um, I wanted to create a space and I was being obedient because I prayed about it because I knew that I was getting ready to open up Pandora's box with Mm -hmm. creating this space and not knowing how people are going to take it. That was my biggest thing. Like people probably going to think I'm crazy starting this group for women who have lost their moms. And then in the beginning, like it wasn't people wasn't kind of like feeding into it. But then after a while, people started coming in and then the post started going out and people was telling people like this space is open for you. Da, da, da. So I tell people inside the community, which we have over 350 members now that this space, I don't care if we're quiet for two weeks, 
you know, we know each other exists. You know, if you mm-hmm. want to talk about something, talk about it. If it's bothering you, if we need to link up with each other, then that's fine because it's women from all over in the group. So I think now it has been, it's just such a blessing to be able to see other women just like me, regardless of age, color, ethnicity, whatever, you know, to come together and be able to relate to each other because people always say, oh, I understand what you're going through, but you don't, (laughs) you do not know what I'm going through. So it's best that I talk to somebody or communicate with someone who has experienced what I've experienced. So it's just been nothing but a blessing just to create this space for other women. Yeah. And it's such a special space to be in. I am a part of that page myself and it's just, I don't always write in and I don't, you know, necessarily say things, but I definitely do see the posts and I send out love to just so many other women who, you know, are going through something that's not the same as me, but they can kind of understand the Mm -hmm. gravity of the loss. And I think that spaces like that are important, which is what prompted me to start my podcast. And it's so interesting hearing you talk about kind of starting something in 2017 and people being a little apprehensive versus Mm -hmm. me starting this in 2023 and people seeming to be more open. What do you think happened in that? What is that? Eight years? I can't Mm -hmm. do that. What do you think happened in that eight year gap um, that has like, you know, forced people to change their ideal of being open about this sort of thing? COVID. Mm. I think COVID kind of took it over the top. People really seeing how fast people can be here today going tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I think people really took COVID and was like, damn, like this is life changing. Like nobody would ever thought that we would been in a pandemic, mm-hmm. you know, and it's still going on. It ain't as heavy as it was back when it first started, but it's still going on. People are still losing their lives. Mm-hmm. due to COVID or COVID complications. Yep. So it's, I think people started to cherish life more, you know, us learning each other. We had, we forced ourselves to talk. We had to force ourselves to be in spaces with other people that we probably didn't want to be with all the time. <laughs> and, you know, so I think it gave more opportunity for people to talk about it. And then this whole wave of mental health. So I think people speaking out more about mental health and how important it is and the free counseling sessions and so on and so forth, I think made people want to open up more to talk about things that they may have been going through or have experienced. And I think it's healthy. Like, you know, it's it's good that people are talking more because I was in a space where I wasn't talking a lot. And that also came from being the only child. You ain't got nobody to blame nothing on. You don't have nobody to talk to. So it was like, you keep everything to yourself. So now it's just like, whatever I feel like saying, I'm just going to say it now. I can care less. So um, I think COVID and then the whole mental health wave and people taking care of their mental health has really struck a a match with people being able to be more upfront with everything that may be going on with them or with others. What does a world where thoughts like that, this idea that you can talk about how you're feeling, this idea that you could talk about grief, what does that look like? Mm. Mm. I, I listen in a world where all of this exists. I it's just, it's just so crazy because even though we're all talking about the good, the mental health stuff, and we're talking about uh, COVID and all this other stuff, people are still out here acting crazy. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it's just like 
did the light bulb go off for some people and <laughs> did it go off for others? And then, you know, we're always looking at the foundation. So I always say your foundation has to be grounded, right? You got to either have some faith, you got to have a good support system and so on and so forth, but everybody don't have that. Yeah. Which makes people delusional. It makes them <laughs> delusional. So they're just out here doing whatever, but a world where, or a space where everybody can be, man, we probably be out here jumping around, running through grass and, and skipping. Yeah, like, <laughs> it would be so happy, right? But we need some drama, right? This is why they created Ranchers TV, right? So we needed a little bit of drama in our lives to kind of shake it up. But yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't wish for it to be perfect. Because we're not perfect individuals. I mean, people think we're perfect in our own rights, but life just be life. <laughs> life do be life. <laughs> life be happening out here. Oh, my God. And this, like, whole idea of just navigating life and trying to figure things out, I'm just very much at a loss myself. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm still trying to figure it out, girl. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, that makes me feel better. That is like, okay, this is just something that you're going to be working at for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. That's fine. Um, so, you know, we talked about White Rose Society. And now I would love to talk a little bit about what you were doing earlier this year with your panels and, and the, the things that you were doing. So let's talk a little bit more about that as well and the connection that they have to each other. Yes. So I have two girlfriends. One is here in Philly and another one is out in Denver, Colorado. And my girlfriend in Denver hit me up and was like, T, I want to have a conference. And I was like, for real, girl? And she was like, yeah. So I said, okay, it's something. Because me, I'm I'm like YOLO. Like, listen, mm-hmm. I don't even care. Mm-hmm. If it flop, it flop. I don't yeah. even care. So she was like, yeah, I think I want to have this conference. So she has a woman empowerment brand called She. And then my other girlfriend has a woman empowerment uh, platform called She. Ain't it crazy? Oh, wow. So, right. So she was like, yeah, I want to do something. So I was like, maybe we should just all be in a group chat together. Mm-hmm. So I put us all in a group chat. All of us have experienced losing a parent. Me and my Denver boo, we both lost our moms. And then our Philly girl, she lost her dad. So we still grieve the loss of a parent. So I'm like, no, we can still do this. So I'm like, yo, we got to do something about grief. Like it it has to be a space where women can come together and talk about and learn about grief because we can go through it, but we don't know nothing about it, you know, Mm -hmm. so in all the different aspects of it. So we was like, okay, we're going to have this conference, da, 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 da. And then we was going crazy trying to plan it out. And then everything that could have happened, happened. So we said, all right, we're just going to save the conference. And we're just going to have some open discussions. So we decided to create the platform Sisters Bonding Through Grief. And it's any type of grief. You Mm -hmm. know, it can be the loss of a job. It can be financial grief. It can be the loss of a parent. It can be a friendship that was broken. You know, anything that you felt may have been traumatic in your life that changed, that changed you. So um, we then created the platform on Instagram, Bond Through Grief, sis. You know, Mm -hmm. we out here, we have to have this community so we can be able to learn from each other. Because yeah. regardless, if you're someone who's grieving, who only been through it for a year, somebody who might be going through it for 20 years may learn something from you. Mm-hmm. So um, we wanted to keep that space open and let people know that we're grieving every single day. We're yeah. grieving every single day. So we decided to do an Instagram live like tour, a tour, and it would be virtual because then now we can build more of brand awareness and exposure for the platform itself. So we took a break this month. But mm-hmm. 
next month will be on and popping. So our our location, our stop for the tour will be um, the DMV area where we're going to be talking about societal grief and Ooh. cultural grief. So we're going to have a couple social workers on there and we're going to be able to talk about these things that we encounter because grief comes from, it's, it's technically a public health issue. Like the trauma... Girl, that's something I made up, girl, just right now. (laughs) Grief is is trauma, and trauma is a public health issue. Like, it's something that needs to be looked at. It needs to be tended to because, like we said, it's societal, it's cultural. You know, it's things in the communities that go on that causes us to do the things that we do. So it's important to kind of shed that light. So I'm really excited about that conversation. But yeah, we're going to be doing, I think, a total of 10 virtual stops. <laughs> and we have different topics for each location. So it's it's going to be really, really good. And I'm really excited to see how open the women are going to be in regards to talking about these kind of things. Because I don't see no kind of conversations, whether it's in the comments or even in the DM, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's opening a lot of doors and, and we, we know that this platform is bigger than us. So we can't wait to see what next year even looks like. Oh, I'm so excited for you guys. I know the one that I was a part of was really special and seeing people respond and, and hearing other people's thoughts. It was yeah. such a great for me. And of course, I'm learning a lot about grief. But to your point, there's people who have been grieving for 10, 20, 30 years and mm-hmm. are still learning things from people who are newer in their grief or maybe mm-hmm. even you know more seasoned in their grief. What's one of the things that you have learned about grief since you started doing work with the White Rose Society and also with what you're doing right now with the conferences? Hmm. I think maybe one of my bigger takeaways may be that <laughs> grief lives dormant. <laughs> and it's very tricky. It's it's like that boyfriend who texts you, that ex that texts you out the blue, like, hey, big head. Like, it's really one of those things. Like, it's, it's, it's sneaky, it's conniving, it shows up when it wants to, and you don't even know. That's the bad part. Like, the triggers can be anything. It can be you driving in a car listening to a song. It can be something just as small as that that'll put you in the funk for the rest of the day. Yeah. Because I know I've personally been in one of them kind of spaces before. So I think that's really one of the biggest takeaways. But I think just even having these spaces really opened up my eyes to see other grief that I've experienced, you know, and may have not been the biggest in talking about it because I didn't know it was grief, you know. So just even bringing more awareness to myself. I think is really one of the biggest, the biggest takeaways from creating these spaces. That's awesome. And to your point, grief really is exactly what you just said it is. There's been, I remember there's one day specifically, I went out on a date. It was love. Like I had a great time. We had these like spiked hot chocolates. We went to see a play. It was, I had a great night completely. Like I was on cloud nine. I got on the train by the time I got off the train to go to my house, I'm bawling, crying on the train. I'm really? like, I I don't know what just happened. I just had a perfect day. I don't mm-hmm. know, like, what it was in the air. I don't know. And then that happens to me a lot, though, where I could just be sitting, and it's like sometimes I feel it coming, and then other times I'm just like, oh, where did this come from? Yeah. And I've talked about this in therapy a lot. This idea, we have this idea as humans that everything we feel should be obvious. It's like, I know when I'm mad. I know when I'm happy. 
I know when I'm sad because it feels like this. I know when I'm depressed because it feels like this. But being in therapy has taught me that like depression specifically rarely ever looks like how you expect it to look, right? Mm -hmm. We like see depression and we're like, I have the blinds drawn and I'm not getting out of bed and I'm not eating and I'm not doing and that's what it looks like sometimes but then what about the times that it does not look like that but it's still relevant and I think grief kind of falls under that same umbrella because as a person who didn't understand grief I'm like okay well I'm grieving my I'm grieving my mom I should be crying every day all day Uh I should have no desire to do anything I should be sullen I should be like a shell of myself and I don't find that to be the case but I know Mm -hmm. that those feelings still exist in me and I think that is why it's important to talk about grief because it's like I mean and regardless it's just something that you won't fully understand until you're experiencing it but like this idea that we have of what our emotions are or even Mm -hmm. understanding ourselves is just so completely different from what it tends to be no, that's true. That is very, very true. And I'm glad you mentioned therapy because that is so important. That is so important. And it's okay to grow up in therapy. I tell people all the time, like, I'm not going, like, I'm I'm in the process now of getting a new therapist because in this part of my life, I can't go back to my first one because it's I'm, I'm too old. I'm mature now. Like, no, it doesn't fit. And I tell people all the time, it's just like buying a car or buying a house. You have to find a good match for you. Is I can I can refer you to a space where you can find therapists, but I'm not going to refer you to a therapist. I just can't do that for you. I tell people that all the time. It has to be a perfect match. It has yeah. to be a perfect match. Yeah, it absolutely does need to be a perfect match. I I agree with that 100%. I got lucky with my therapist that kind of like worked out the first time. I don't know how. I think my mom knew that I wasn't really with trying to figure out a whole bunch of people. But my therapist has definitely been life changing. And I think one of the important things just talking about therapy is that a therapist is not there to help you feel better. They're not going to, Mm -hmm. well, they're there to help you with the tools, but they are not there to make you feel better. Because I think also going into grief therapy or grief counseling, people tend to have this idea of like, okay, I'm going to go to therapy and then it's just going to make me better. But it's not Mm -hmm. a band-aid. It's not a magical potion. That's just like, okay, I do this and now I'm better. You actually have to do the work and the work isn't easy. Yep. Yep. It's hard. It's hard as hell. And and it's so funny because I tell people all the time, like, and I've actually just started to become open to this other space of just trying to, I guess, heal, but Mm -hmm. grief also sits in our bodies as well. So it's just not all of our mental or emotional, it sits in our bodies. So all those aches and those pains can technically be grief. That's living in those knees, that's Mm -hmm. living in that in those feet, in that back, in your arms, in your shoulders, everywhere. So that's why I try to get my monthly massages. And then I also was looking at um these ladies who do like, I don't know, I guess they healing of the bodies or whatever. And they kind of like try to push out the trauma, push out the grief and stuff. Oh, wow. And I said, well, I want to try this to see how it is. But when you go on like TikTok and you see people experiencing it, it, that stuff is crazy like the women be in there like boohooing and right, just yeah. like it's like a relief like all that pain even though they might be pressing down really hard that hurts but that's pain that you have built up from however long years months whatever the case may be so I'm really interested in doing something like just to see what the outcome of that would be 
Oh, yeah. Well, you got to tell me about that one because that sounds really interesting to me. Again, just talking about therapy, I remember I was talking to my therapist about this whole idea of grief. And again, it coming out of nowhere, like we were talking about. And she mentioned to me this exact phenomenon that you're talking about, about how we store it in our bodies, how we Mm -hmm. hold it. She's like, you can trick your brain to think about other things. Like you can Mm -hmm. focus on other things. You can be here and there mentally, but your body is always going to know the pain that you are carrying, even if you're not focused on it. And I feel like for me, that was a moment that I felt like my mind opened up completely because now, you know, I'm sitting here talking to you and I'm like, well, damn, my back does hurt a little bit and my shoulders do feel a little heavy and my legs, you know, just thinking about the different ways that we carry pain and grief and sadness in our bodies. And, you know, again, even if we're feeling all right mentally, if we're if we're focusing on other stuff, that does not mean that it doesn't still exist there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. That's the truth. Wow. 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 Well, T, this has been so amazing. You are just like chef's kiss. And I'm super (laughs) excited that we were able to have this conversation. Before we go, what do you think your mom would think of you right now? She'd be like, girl, you doing it. (laughs) Yes, I think my mom would be super duper proud of me. Yes, despite all the obstacles after she passed away. I think she would be very, very happy in the space that I'm in, um, excited about all the things that I'm doing. Um, I'm a piece of her. So, like, she was one who knew everybody, queen of networking. Everybody knew who she was. You know, she was just a beacon, I guess, in the community and always willing to help those who can't really help themselves. And I'm the exact same way. I'm the exact same way. So I do mirror my mother. You know, when I was a kid, people were like, oh, you sound like her. You look <laughs> like her. And I used to be like, no, I don't. No, I don't. But now as an adult, I'd be like, oh, I do look like her. <laughs> no, that's so special. I'm glad that you feel that way. And I hope that that continues to be the thing that motivates you, even on those days that you're not feeling it. Because for me, I'm like very much not mentally where you are at. Like there's mm-hmm. days where I'm just like, I don't care about myself a lot, you know? And so oh, hearing yeah. you, yeah. And so I use my mom as the fuel that keeps me going. And I'm happy that you have that too. Even though you spent so much time grieving and grieving alone, I'm happy that you've built this community. And I'm happy that you still keep your mom at the center because I think that that has been the thing that has kept me going from day to day is just knowing that my mom is still so much a part of me. And like you mentioning, you're a part of your mom, knowing that I am as well is like, I feel like, you know, I just be like, okay, it's just another day. I just got to get through another day. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, those days be sneaky. Like you said, like Mm -hmm. some days you just don't feel like it. And I've had a lot of those days, even just recently. I'd be like, I don't feel like it today. I just don't. Mm-mm. I'm going to sit here. I'm going to do my work for work. But other than that, that's it. Don't bother me. I don't want to call, put my phone on, do not disturb. Like, and people, the close people that know me, they know that. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, but those who don't know, they be like, girl, why you wasn't answering your phone? I tried to hit you up on the inside, hit you up on Instagram, Facebook, everything. Just chill. I'll get back to you. Exactly. I feel that a hundred percent. I'm good at turning off my phone, getting off social media for sure. But T, this has been again, so amazing. Is there anything that you want to say before I let you go? I just want to say people in my Veronica voice, which is my Philly sister, (laughs) allow yourself to feel all the feels. Um, It's okay. 
it's okay and you're going to be okay. If you need support, support is out there. Everything that you need is at your fingertips. We are literally on our phones all day, on our computers all day. So if you need to look up a resource or something like that, just go on Google, go on TikTok. TikTok tell you everything now. You can learn how to do everything on TikTok. (laughs) Just figure out a way that you can kind of get through and then maybe utilize that later on, whether it's in your personal life, your business life, whatever it may be. But just keep going. There is support for you out there. Wow. Thank you so much, T. Well, this has been amazing. And I want to thank you a million times for coming on the show and giving me your time. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) So smart, y'all. But guys, this has been a great episode of my podcast. Damn Mom, really the podcast that everybody wants to listen to and nobody wants to be on. My name is Danae and I am super excited for you guys to check out this episode and stay tuned because we have more episodes coming up in the future. I'll see y'all later. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave us a review and a comment. It's super, super helpful to us. And as promised, there's a relaxing cool down slash guided meditation by Liliana Rasmussen coming up in five, four, three, two. Welcome to this guided meditation session to create a safe place for you. Chronic pain can be very hard to handle, but many times when we create a mental image of our suffering, we tend to aggravate this pain, thus increasing it. Then every time we feel the sensation, we will have a negative thought attached to it on a conscious and subconscious level. So what this meditation will teach you are techniques to change the mental image that has been created from this pain, and instead implement a peaceful association with pleasant visualizations that create a warmer bonding between you and your body's sensations. This allows you to accept and allow instead of fight and push away. Make sure you're in a very comfortable position. Sit down or lay down if that feels good for you, however you need to position yourself so that none of your muscles are activated or tense. Every part of your body can rest and feel completely relaxed during this meditation. Begin by taking five deep breaths to relax even more. One, full breath in and let it go. Two, fully inhale and exhale. Three, breathe in as much as you can and let it go, feeling a wave of relaxation come over you. Four, inhale deeply and exhale, feeling invigorated. Five, last one, fully inhale and exhale, feeling any tension loosen up and your body feeling extremely relaxed. Good. And just allow your breath to slow and flow naturally now. Don't try to change anything about it. Just notice the calmness that these five breaths gifted you. Notice how your body breathes without you doing anything at all. Begin to feel any sensations that you associate with your pain. Bring them into your awareness and allow these feelings to multiply. You're completely safe and secure. It's okay to allow these sensations to arise. They will not harm you. Put all of your focus on these areas, really feel their exact position and the quality of the sensations. What's the pain like for you? Is it stinging, tingling, or burning? Perhaps it's like something else. In your mind, describe every detail and then sit with it. Be entirely with it while it presents itself. Don't do anything about it except feel it. Allow the sensations to grow and don't stop them, just see what they do. Notice the details of changes the sensations make. Good, you're doing so well.
Now switch your focus and bring into your mind's eye a visual of a place you love to go or have been to that is very serene and peaceful for you. It could be an imaginary place, like on top of a gorgeous mountain, or somewhere you frequently go, like a nearby nature path. Your favorite place could be as simple as your warm, cozy bed next to a loved one. Wherever this place is for you, see it vividly right now. Start by visualizing all the physical aspects of this place. Where are you? What do you see when you look up? If you're outside, it could be the sky. If you're in a safe room somewhere, it could be the ceiling. Notice everything you see when you look up. Now look down and at your feet. What does the ground look like below you? Gaze all around this favorite place of yours, making the colors bright and vivid. Make out even more details now, like the leaves on the trees and plants, or the things that are placed around the room. Do you notice any patterns anywhere? They could be patterns in nature, like the way things grow, or the patterns of fabrics and objects in a room. Notice every pattern you can find in great detail. The more details you can imagine, the better. How dark or light out is it? What time of the day do you think it is? And make a judgment about the placement of the sun in the sky. Which way is the light of the sun coming into your imagination? Look at all of the beautiful things that make this place so enjoyable for you. Use your visual creativity of this place for the next several moments. Nice. Now you are going to bring about the sensations this beautiful spot offers. Start by tapping your feet on the ground. Is the surface hard or soft? Feel the ground below you here with your feet, noticing anything you can about it. Become aware of the temperature in this place. Is it cool or warm or hot? Is there a breeze blowing or is the air calm and still? Can you feel the sun on your skin? Sit with these sensations for a few moments and enjoy them. Are there any smells here? If you're imagining the beach, maybe you can smell the salty air, or if you're in a forest, the smell of nature. Just notice how your sense of smell can create sensations of aromas for you when you put your mind to it. What about sounds? Bring fully into this experience any sounds that surround you here. Perhaps you hear a loved one nearby. Perhaps you're alone and you can hear the sounds that nature creates for you. Vividly hear any sounds in this experience. Sit with these senses activated for a few moments and begin to interact with your environment. Great. To relax even further, become aware of what you're doing here. Are you sitting down and relaxing or walking around and exploring? Are you doing exactly what you love and want to do? See yourself being completely relaxed and happy here. There's no need to do anything here but relax and enjoy it. Be assured that this place is always here for you to keep you safe if you need to flee from pain. Take another slow and deep breath in. And as you exhale, you feel at complete peace with yourself and all the sensations in your body. As I speak these words to you, you are changing the mental images associated with your pain. Whenever you feel overwhelmed by the sensations in your body, repeat this exercise to accept the pain and change the thoughts associated with it. When you use this technique, you will stop the pain from becoming aggravated and growing stronger. When you vividly visualize a safe and peaceful place in moments of distress, you are slowing down your pulse and blood pressure, creating a peaceful and strong connection to your body and mind. Allow yourself to slowly become aware of your surroundings, and whenever you're ready, open your eyes, ready to go about your day peacefully.